Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, January 1st. 2023. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today, we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, The Book of Broadway Musical Debates, Disputes, and Disagreements, is now available and can be purchased wherever finer books are sold. Peter also has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Peter, I also understand that you are the ambassador to New York and Broadway, right? Is that is that true? You're you're meeting elected, with uh, <laughs> <laughs> our various uh, listeners have uh, contacted you and visited throughout the holidays, and you've gotten to meet a lot of our uh, our listeners. Oh yeah, Juliet Green this week, a lovely, lovely person who uh, certainly knows her onions and is proved every week when she. Um, answers the brain teaser at the end of the show. So uh, a good time was had by both. Excellent. Good to hear. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael's a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. And uh, that's interesting what you just said about Peter, because I didn't arrange this, but I was at Christine Petty's um, Christmas show, Snow Business, uh, at the Lori Beachman the other night. And some fellow came up to me and and uh, I guess, I don't know, he knew what I looked like from Googling, but he said he's a big fan of the podcast and he listens every week. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's really nice. Please come up, say hello to us. Uh, <laughs> and uh, when we see you at the theater or various other places, Michael, you were able to kick everybody out of your living room, right? So you were able to record yeah. this morning. I mean, you had 100,000 people right there. Uh, finally got rid of them this morning, early this morning, right? <laughs> well, not quite in my living room, but um, I did go. I'm I'm on the 24th floor. Uh, so I can't see, I can't actually see the the ball drop. Um, at, but I went up to my friend David's apartment on the 46th floor and, uh, he can't actually see it either, but he sees more of the, like the lighting and stuff around it. And, and it's, it's neat here at Manhattan Plaza. You, if you open the window, uh, right before midnight, you can hear the cheering, you know, just mm. emanating, wafting, uh, zooming over from, from Times Square. It's kind of, kind of neat. Do we think and, that any... Any of the uh, folks in Times Square look around at sitting there nine, 10 hours waiting for the ball to drop. And they're like, I want to go see the Lion King. <laughs> I wonder if, I wonder if any tickets are sold by that. <laughs> by the way, uh, Christine's show, I should say, I just say it's was wonderful as always. She, she always does a wonderful Christmas yeah. show. And um, she did a, a beautiful song that, uh, was written by Hoagie Carmichael uh, called My Christmas Song for You. Uh, music by Hoagie Carmichael, lyrics by Paul Francis Webster, who wrote lyrics for um, Secret Love and a, a number of other songs that were nominated or won um, Academy Awards, and a fellow named Furness Peterson, who I've never heard of. But um, Christine said that she was given this song by Hoagie Carmichael Jr., Oh, yeah. uh, who who said to her that he could not understand why it had never become a, a Christmas standard, and I can't understand it either. It's a it's a lovely song. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of that uh, Aaron's and Flaherty song, Christmas cliches. Uh, uh, you know where yeah, yeah, yeah. 
all those Christmas cliches uh, where it acknowledges, you know, all of the all of the <laughs> this the the snow and the and the tinsel and the and all and and, and all of that stuff. Um, but you know, very different in terms of the melody and the style. Uh, so that was wonderful. And uh, and one other thing Christine did uh, that I should mention is um, she did a little tribute to Leslie Brickus. Um, you know, who we lost this year. And it was very uh, clever because she started with feeling good and then went into pure imagination. Uh, so that was mm -hmm. wonderful. She, uh, Matthew Martin Ward was her uh, company's musical director and they put together a really great show. So that was, uh, even though I saw it after Christmas, it, mm. you know, it helped keep me in the spirit. <laughs> <laughs> and you're starting off uh, 2023 correctly. Um, yes, by seeing the great Marilyn May uh, tonight at Birdland in the last of her uh, current run of shows there. Excellent. So we'll talk about Marilyn's uh, show next week. But for this week, uh, in the, sometime in the last seven days or so, you got down to New York Theater Workshop to see Merrily We Roll Along. So uh, Peter talked about it about two weeks ago. Uh, what do you think of this? Well, let me start by saying I sort of agree with peter that it's a masterpiece okay. um i i think overall uh it's a masterpiece and the score is definitely the work of of a great great genius um to me every time i see this show i get so frustrated because it'll be going on and it'll everything will be fine and then there'll be a line of dialogue or a uh, a, a bit of uh, construction, uh, faulty construction that just makes me crazy, especially because uh, in this case, um, it seems to me that everything that's wrong with it, it, it seems so obvious to me. Uh, I mean, it is very, very tricky, very, very tricky to tell a story in reverse chronological order. I think we all agree with that. But even with that said, I think there there are so many clunky and and weird and very, very strange decisions um, that George Firth made, either originally w when he wrote the book um, or later w when after he revised it, he and Sondheim revised the show. Uh, and I think at some point, um, James Lapine even had some input to it, although I don't know how much actual writing he did, if any. But um, and this is probably going to annoy some people, but just a few examples, because uh, I have to in act one right before old friends. Charlie becomes incredibly upset with Frank. Why does he become incredibly upset with Frank? Because Frank has arranged to have their stage musical musical husbands be made into a movie. Now, I'm sorry. I, I Charlie may have this this project. Yes, he has this project called Take a Left that he and Frank have uh, has it has been their pet project for years. This political musical, and they've been wanting to get back to that. And Frank keeps avoiding it. And I understand that would be annoying, but come on, couldn't couldn't they have come up with a better reason for him to be upset than than having a a movie? of one of his musicals. Um, mm -hmm. And then the other thing is that um, even the, the whole placement of that moment, I think is wrong because right after that, 
uh, after becoming incredibly upset, Charlie then has to completely forget about it and sing old friends with Mary and Frank. So I think that transition's a little weird. And then another, just another one, there are so many examples, but in act two, before it's a hit, um, we're supposed to believe that Charlie's wife uh, was pregnant. And I think they say that her water broke uh, during the show or right before it. And so we're supposed to believe that he they sent her off in a cab by herself to the hospital. While, while Charlie stayed to experience his opening night. Now, couldn't that have been couldn't they have said that she had the baby that morning? And he was with her at the hospital. And then she said, oh, you have to go. I'm fine. You have to go, at, you know, to, to your opening that, night. Doesn't that also make him seem more heartless? Well, exactly. I mean, but why Why didn't it occur to George Firth and I Sondheim? think that's a very good suggestion. Yeah. I mean, and so easily fixed. That's true. Uh, so uh, what else? I think Beth's uh, so much has been changed in the show over the years, and I'm not 100 percent sure I do have access to, um, uh, uh, you know, I mean, there is there are ways to have access to a video of the original. And I'm, I'm going to have to look at it again because uh, I, I don't remember exactly. But in this version, Beth's parents, I think, are complete ridiculous caricatures um and there's other examples of sledgehammer writing throughout the show uh one thing that still doesn't work although it's better than it used to be and this is funny uh um in the original i think and and maybe one of the interim versions joe uh turns down this guy who comes to him um with an idea for an answering machine, uh, you know, to show how Joe is really doesn't know what he's doing and doesn't have good instincts on what to what to invest in. Um, and in the original, he said to him, um, you should invest in something like the up and coming, like that new 3D movie process. And when when the, when Merrily was originally written, that was funny because 3D had been a fad that lasted like two years in the 1950s. Uh, but then it came back with a vengeance, you know, in the whenever that was the 80s, 90s. Hmm. Um, and so they the, but they kept that line for a while and it made absolutely no sense. So now they've changed it to smell vision uh, Joe says you should invest in smell vision uh, which, uh, I don't know, just seemed kind of forced to me. And uh, what else? Uh, this pro- Well, I should say something about this production, shouldn't I? The cast is <laughs> just as good as I, as I thought they would be. It is tremendously helpful to have somebody so likable as Jonathan Groff in the role of Frank because it's so easy for the character to be unlikable. And I think that's actually... Of, true of Charlie also. Um, Jan, Daniel Radcliffe's charm and humor is is very much appreciated uh, because Charlie can also seem very much a nudge um, and, and kind of annoying, I think. Um, the only character everyone always loves is Mary. <laughs> um, you know, once past the first scene where she's her behavior is pretty hateful, but she's supposed to be drunk off her face in that scene. And and then she quickly, you know, as soon as the second scene starts, we see how, what a wonderful person she is. So I loved Lindsay Mendez in that role. Um, I, um, I think that the set, the, uh, the sets, uh, basically a unit set for this production is a, is a huge minus. Um, some, I guess some people might say that they think it's better because it focuses 
the story in a way, but I, I don't think so. I think you really need to have the feeling of that all these scenes uh, across a period of 20 years are happening in all different locales, um, you know, and, and different times. And I don't think that this gets that across. Um, other people uh, have been complaining bitterly about the costumes in this production as well. That didn't affect me as much as the set, but, uh, but I did notice it with the costumes also. Um, and then the, orchestra the the band the combo whatever uh, I, I thought for the most part it sounded okay uh in in the very small space at new york theater workshop i thought maybe only a few more two or three more instruments would have made a big difference and maybe they will make that change when it moves to broadway uh i think it's nine pieces now if they could have 12 uh at least that would that i think would make a, a very big very big difference um let me ask and, a question. Yeah. Uh, uh, is there any way to for us to easily find out how many pieces were in the original Broadway production? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I, I, IBDB has that information. Of I think if you, uh, I think if you probably look on the site that that rents the materials, it will tell you that because it would have the parts. Uh, uh, but I, but I don't. I, I mean, I'm not that familiar with with that. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Also, Playbill had a story that uh, that the December 26th uh, performance was canceled because of a technical problem. Right. Uh, that was just two days before I went. And uh, what kind of technical problem do you think they could have? I mean, well, we, you're describing the sets. Well, I heard from from someone who was there. Maybe this this is like third hand, but they said that the, a pipe burst in one of the bathrooms. Oh, Okay. And that would mean that because I don't think you can keep people in the yeah. in the building if the bathrooms, yeah, bathrooms aren't functioning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was so cold, so so yeah. cold over Christmas. So maybe that's true. Mm. So uh, New York Theater Workshops, merrily we roll along. Uh, are are you going to go see it on Broadway? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just checking, just checking to see. Uh, mm. One one last one last thing. Um, and please tell me, folks, if you agree with me on this, there's the one line that everyone loves and it sounds so profound, but I don't think it makes any chance, any sense. Um, Mary sings, trouble is, Charlie, that's what everyone does, blames the way it is on the way it was, on the way it never, ever was. Now, first of all, does she mean compares the way it is to the way it was? Um is she saying that people are always say, oh, you know, things aren't as good as they used to be, but they're not actually remembering the past properly? Is that I what, think what I think so. I think that I was just going to say, yeah, I think that's the way it is. All right. Well, blames is not the same as compares, is it? And also, uh, so I never got that. And then the other thing is, but she's not they're not doing that anyway, because uh, we, as we see in the show, Things really were much better for them <laughs> uh, yeah. when when they were younger and they loved each other and and they didn't have all the, these problems. Um, so uh, uh, saying on the way it never ever was is not true. So I have a big problem with that line that everybody loves. <laughs> and uh, you know, unfortunately, Sanheim is no longer around for me to ask him about it, but I don't think he would have taken very well to that question anyway. No. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably not. 
So uh, that is Merrily We Roll Along at New York Theater Workshop. It's uh, playing for another couple of weeks. I'm trying to get in. I'm not sure I'm going to actually see it. I might have to wait until next year to see it. The audience on the night I went was um, oddly a little a little subdued, especially oh. in the beginning. And I actually ran into one of the cast members, Corey Mock, on the subway afterwards. And I asked him about that, and he said he you know he didn't know. He said the matinee that day had been electric. Uh, it was absolute, you know, over the top. The audience loved it. Um, and I'm not saying that they were dead the night I went, but they they were a little subdued in the beginning, and then they warmed up gradually as it went along. But that happens sometimes. It's it's so fascinating for anyone who's actually been in shows or or seen multiple performances of shows. I, I always found it fascinating how the audience reaction can change so much from one night to the next. Well, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons I love theater. Sure. Is is it's so you know, you have the same words and the same people and it's can be a different a, a different experience from day to day or yep. performance yep. to performance. Yeah. Yeah, I saw working back in 1978, 79, when was it? And um, at two performances, and I'm telling you, the reaction to that teacher's song was so different from one night to the next. One audience thought it was hilarious. One audience thought it was so sad. Huh. Same song, same delivery. Hmm. May 14th, 1978 to June 4th, 1978. You can probably almost pick the performance. Yeah, I know it was the first preview, so I guess it was the first two. Yeah. Opening was May 14th, closing. First preview is May 5th. I was there. May 5th. We know where Peter was on 5-5. Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Pedro. <laughs> so Peter uh, working played at the 46th Street Theater, and mm -hmm. uh, it's given it such a hex ever since. I'm I'm not sure that the 46th Street Theater will ever see a hit again. Yeah, imagine. <laughs> Wait, are you being ironic? <laughs> sure. It's, okay. it's, it's the Richard Rogers. <laughs> oh, seems, oh, to oh. seems to house oh. a little little oh, yes, little skit yeah. called Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, working. Uh, yeah, uh, there's a diamond in the rough. There isn't there. Uh-huh. Sure. Oh, indeed. Oh, it's a very good show. But I, I remember Stephen Schwartz telling me, he said, the real problem is with that type of show, no matter how good a song is, it doesn't mean the next song is going to be good. That yeah. you start all over again in any mm -hmm. review. You know, hmm. there's, there's no buildup uh, in, in the way that a, a, a true drama or comedy or musical can have. Mm. So um, so it, it the format is the problem. It seems to be a mainstay of many uh, community theaters and regional theaters you and things bet. like that. So, when I, ironically enough, when I um, was doing my book, Let's Put on a Musical, uh, many, many, many moons ago, Working was the show I used as a template uh, because I thought it was great for community theater. You could actually get people who do those jobs to uh, appear in them uh, in the show. And what you can also do is go to local merchants saying you're represented in the show, you know, uh -huh. do that. Now, here's the irony. I'm walking up the street. And I'll never forget. I was right at the Winter Garden. Cass was playing and coming down the street was uh, Steve Schwartz. And I said to him, listen. I'm doing this book on community theater. And the reason I brought it up is because in those days, nobody was handling Godspell. Not Tams Whitmark, 
not Rogers and Hammerstein, not MTI, not mm-hmm. Dramatist Play Service. Uh, none of the houses, Samuel French, none of them had Godspell. I couldn't find it anywhere. And that was going to be my question. Uh, listen, I'm doing this book on community theater who handles Godspell. As it turns out, they handle yeah. Godspell themselves. themselves yeah. <laughs> yeah. Since then, it's gone over to MTI, but way back when. that's So anyway, I'm saying to him, uh, listen, I'm doing this book on community theater. And he said to me, oh, I hope you put working in it. <laughs> and I said, what an irony. That's the, what I actually used to sell the book. <laughs> but, you know, that's something very special about Steve Schwartz. Be it Children of Eden, be it Wicked, be it The Magic Show, be it Rags, they are all his children. I, I really believe he loves mm-hmm. them equally. I mm-hmm. really yeah. believe that. Back to working. Um, it's been revised uh, recently oh, many right? times, with, yeah. with new material by Lin-Manuel Miranda. That's among, right. Among yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I dare say whenever you see working, you're going to see a unique working um, <laughs> people, you know, uh, drop songs, add songs, so on and so forth. So, uh, yeah, it's it's hard to see a definitive version. <laughs> so uh, back in 1978, I'm not sure if we did a on January 1st, 1979, if we had Broadway Radio, we would be doing, <laughs> we'd be talking about working as the best of 78. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> in the best of 22, Peter Felicia, what, what, what titles begin your list in the best of 2022? Well, you know what I'm going to mention first, um, and Lord knows this sounds uh, as if I'm I'm bragging because I, I saw something that um, very few people saw, but <clears throat> One of the great thrills for me was the recording session of The Music Man. Mm-hmm. Um, I was asked to do the liner notes for the new album. And I'm telling you, going to that um, hall and seeing Hugh Jackman be so terrifically, terrifically cooperative and um, everybody in that cast greeting each other warmly. And the fact is, you know, at five o'clock the day before they were on stage and here they are nine o'clock in the morning. And it was like old home week. It was as if they, they hadn't seen each other for months. They just loved each other so much. And um, getting through uh, the album was a reasonably easy affair. Uh, again, everything's hard, but in, in the scope of things, it really was a, a beautiful love fest and they got through it wonderfully. And I do have to credit Robert Cher, who's an amazing, amazing producer amazing in the way he handles things i mean he juggles all these balls and he never drops one it's just an incredible experience so i but in terms of things that everybody could have seen um <laughs> leopold's stat is the one that really stands out for me because if, there's so much conversation the night before or the night of something terrible happening and that's really something. Do, do you know that something bad is going to happen? And here are some people warning people, you know, something's bad is going to happen. Other people say, oh, please, we're all right. Everything's going to be all right. Yeah, and those two factions happen so often in this play. It's really something. And you know who's right and you know who's naive. Um, it was also very amazing to me is that uh, considering the fact that it goes through time when it got to the 30s and um, it deals with of course Jews who are going to be in terrible trouble I assumed the 40s were going to be really really painful um, and Stopper just skipped over that and really right. got to the 50s uh, he really mm-hmm. wanted to uh, to deal with the aftermath Yeah, he knows that we've seen plenty of things in the 40s um, so let's see what happens afterwards and what the future will hold so <clears throat> to me this was really um, the uh, highlight of the dramatic year and for that matter it's really something it's very very nice 
that indeed people have responded to it that they've had to extend. And I mean, really, for for a play like this, I mean, this is a very serious work. And um, a lot of people don't want to do that after a hard day's work. You know, they want to come out and they want to laugh. So it was very nice to see that uh, people did respond to this and that they've had to continue. So um, congratulations to Tom Stoppard and everybody else in the cast, especially uh, Brandon Uranowitz, who really really uh, does a phenomenal job. You know, we knew him from An American in Paris, and, you know, that's great. You know, God love him. He's terrific in that show. But this was a new challenge, and boy, did he meet it. Okay. Brandon Uranowitz, when you said, uh, when you were talking about something bad happening, I I immediately thought of falsettos when they had that Uh frame, uh something very bad is happening. And then you said everything will be all right. I thought of Jesus Christ Superstar. Sure. <laughs> you know, sure. so yeah. so so the structure is there, well well known and well used in in uh <laughs> in great 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 shows across Broadway. Michael, how about you? What are some of the things that were the best of 2022 for you? Well, uh, the f- I think one of the first things I saw in the year uh and one of the best was the movie of Tick Tick Boom, which that to me is a true masterpiece. I love that movie. I I think it's almost miraculous that uh, in his first movie as a director that Lin-Manuel Miranda could have come up with something so well done and so perfect, solved every problem, every potential <laughs> problem that might happen, that might crop up in a in a film version of a musical. And Andrew Garfield, I thought, was just heaven sent <laughs> um, as the star. He was absolutely perfect uh, as John, basically Jonathan Larson. And the rest of the cast was phenomenal. Our friend Robin de Jesus et al., everyone else. Um, so I, I really, really look forward to future movie musicals directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. All right. Uh, well, and- and the new movie, Matilda, I'm not, I'm not saying it is by the same cinematographer. And of course, it'd be easy to check that. <clears throat> but but it, it, the style is very similar to that of uh, Tick, Tick, Boom, as well as in the Heights. I think we have a new type of style of filming uh, movie musicals. Mm. See if you see a, a connection when you when you catch up with Matilda. Kind of quick cutting, but uh, from one thing to another, but not not necessarily over editing like the movie of Chicago. Yeah, a lot of people have problems with uh, Chicago. You do too, Michael. In the certain scenes, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, I do. So Matilda, um, Matilda did the whole straight movie to the stage to converge to a movie musical. So you're specifically talking about the brand new movie musical that was released. Right. I forgot um, uh, that I had forgotten, but I started to watch uh, a little bit of the original movie and I completely forgotten that it had been switched uh, uh, the locale from England to America. The original Hmm. movie. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I thought that was very helpful. Very helpful. I was, well, it was helpful in terms of the <laughs> understanding, of the the, <laughs> understanding the words. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I guess it's helpful to Americans. Yeah, I swear that show would have done so much better if it had been Americanized, um, because making those kids adopt those English accents, which are totally, no pun intended, foreign to them, uh, really, uh, American kids would have just sung their hearts out, and uh, right. that would have been fine. We would have understood them beautifully. Um, it's a big mistake not to Americanize it. 
I mean, the full Monty, um, the musical was an American version of, uh, of that British movie. Well, why not do it with Matilda too? It would have made a big difference. Mm. And you can uh, see Matilda, the musical, the movie of <laughs> the movie of Matilda, the musical, uh, can be found on Netflix. 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 Mm-hmm. Yes. Do we know where Tick, Tick, Boom is playing? I don't know if it's on a streaming oh, service. I, or not. That also was Netflix, I think. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was. I don't know if it's still there. I mean, I guess maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. Uh, Rob Johnson in our chat room. Check that out for us. Netflix still. He's already on top of it. Thank uh-huh. you. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. Rob. Uh, so, Peter, what else in 2022 were your favorites? Well, you know, uh, I'm I'm going to next next mention another one that um, virtually nobody saw, but uh, the people who did see it, I'm sure liked it as much as I did. And I'm going to again go to bat for ragtime at the Bergen uh, County Players um, in Oradell, New Jersey. Larry Lansman did a phenomenal job in doing ragtime on a very small stage. It would seem to be an impossibility. So uh, again, this is a shout out to all community theaters everywhere uh, and the wonderful work that I have seen so many times. And this was the most recent crown jewel to uh, to see. So yes, I, I know that these are uh, obscure. So let's go to the um, ones that maybe more people saw. <clears throat> and um, yes, Merrily would definitely be on my list. No question about it. Um, though I do uh, think that Michael had a wonderful point about the um, delivery of the baby. Um, I always <laughs> took that as the fact that um, <laughs> that's where his real passion is. But anyway, Death of a Salesman, I thought was excellent. Um, and uh, especially, especially Sharon D. Clark, um, uh, the best Linda Lohman I've ever seen, um, but very nicely staged and um, very good supporting performances as well. Raisin in the Sun, especially the last image, which um, nobody can deny is a possibility. I'm being purposely vague, but um, certainly um, Robert O'Hara added something uh, to um, that's who directed, right? Robert O'Hara, am I right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> added something at the very end that certainly Lorraine Hansberry didn't um, write. No, uh, she in didn't. Her, in her stage directions. <laughs> And yet, I have a feeling if Lorraine were here, she'd say, well, yeah, I'm afraid that's true. Uh, it, it was a startling image, but it rang true to me. So you didn't like it, Michael, right? I despised <laughs> that that ending. I and I don't think the question is whether or not it's true. I think that's entirely beside the point. I think it's not what she wrote. No, it isn't what she wrote, but I truly believe it would be something that she would approve of. Um, I do not agree. Well, you know, of course, Lorraine now would be, I I guess, uh, close to 100. Um, And um, she'd have seen a lot of things happen in this country. And there's an optimism to Raisin in the Sun that um, she might not agree with. Um, That's a, that I, that is a good point. I agree with that. So um, anyway, so uh, yes, there's no question he imposed his own values on it, but I suspect that Lorraine Hansberry would um, certainly um, have tuned into those values. You know, the play uh, that was at the vineyard where she showed up, I don't remember what it was called. Do you, wasn't there a play where she showed up at the very end? It was in June. Um, anyway, um, 
she had a lot to say. So um, uh, very, very frank. And I think it was actually taken from transcripts. I don't think it was scripted material. Uh, so uh, uh, anyway, uh, that was a big, um, big one for me that I really, really, I love the Hamlet that was at Park Avenue Armory. And I love the Oristaya too, that was at Park Avenue Armory. We were very lucky to get those two um, productions imported to us. A lot of people had trouble with the the young man playing Hamlet. I thought he was terrific. And um, I'm also going to go to bat for I'm revolting. Um, I was very <laughs> impressed by that. And um, this is a play about people who have skin diseases and how they deal with it. And um, it was a fascinating play on so many levels. I will admit that I would have liked it much more if indeed there weren't conversations that took place in the waiting room, because after all, um, <clears throat> you know, you would think that there would be little offices to the side of the stage where we could have private conversations. But um, I, I thought that was a little clunky. But the wonderful thing about it that really um, impressed me <clears throat> was the fact that um, it was so well acted, so well acted, beautiful, beautifully done. So, um, so I thought that was impressive as well, especially dealing with such a tough subject. The revival of Man of No Importance, I thought was quite wonderful as well. And I'm very glad that um, it's supposedly, um, I haven't done anything lately, but uh, Circle in the Square is, uh, is supposed to welcome it. And I hope that indeed Circle in the Square does, because um, I would like to see that happen. Um, a second cousin to Leopold's stat, um it was prayer for the french republic mm. um which uh dealt with um judaism and anti-semitism in a very different way but was so startling it got off to an amazing start because here's this young woman who's a house guest in a home and you know she's there and everybody's welcoming her and everything's very pleasant and suddenly um one of the people who lived there come in having been injured in a fight uh, because uh, simply it was an anti-Semitic attack. And this poor girl has to watch people scream and yell at each other about, you shouldn't have gone out there. I wish you wouldn't do that while you're wearing your yarmulke. Why must you let people know? But it's my right to wear my yarmulke. So, but imagine being in the middle of a maelstrom like this. I mean, that is really, really tough. And one of our finest actresses, Betsy Adam, um, was the mother in that show. And she was uh, quite amazing. Years ago, I saw her in a play by Robert Bernardi um, in which she played Lee Harvey Oswald's mother. And this is this woman. I'm telling you, you could not insult her. No matter what you said, it just bounced off her. She she was just wanted what she wanted and wanted what she wanted. And I'm telling you, you can understand why Lee Harvey Oswald, if indeed, um, <laughs> who knows who did what, but I mean, if, if indeed he he was the assassin, we can understand why um, he he would go crazy. He probably was more interested in shooting his mother than than JFK. But but anyway, so Betsy. Adam was really, really something. I also liked Harmony quite a bit, the Barry Manilow musical. Oh, yeah. Again, a musical that deals with anti-Semitism. There was a lot of that this year. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot about the fact that there are so many black plays um, mm -hmm. and black musicals, but boy, this was a big year for uh, for dealing with anti-Semitism, which I'm afraid we need to hear about just as much as we hear about the black experience, because God knows there's a lot of bad feeling going on. A lot of bad feeling. I was startled the other night. I, I was re-watching the remake of that championship season. And I was astounded to hear so much anti-Semitic talk come from the coach. Uh, Paul Sovino played him. He directed it too. Um, it was amazing to see him 
routinely come out with a, a, a hmm. problem with this country of the Jews and really believing it and just horrifying. So um, having plays that address this issue, and I'm telling you, the last 15 minutes of Harmony, you could have filmed the Sprint commercial there because really you could hear a pin drop. It was so amazing how everybody was so invested in what was going on and feeling so bad about it. So um, I hope we see Harmony again. Lord knows it's taken 409 years for it to uh, get to any fruition here in New York, but it really deserves so much more than it, um, it, it's got. Um, I, um, it was also great to see Kimberly Akimbo again, especially um, everybody raised about Victoria Clark and the issues wonderful but good lord bonnie milligan who <laughs> playing such an amoral character who just does not know right from wrong it doesn't even occur to her the things that are wrong are wrong it, it it's just this is my modus operandi and that's all there is to it um so what um we all have to make a living this is the way i make mine and there's nothing wrong with what i'm doing so um you know, pretty amazing i also <clears throat> thought there was a lot of good in Paradise Square, a lot of good. And I was sorry to see that um, Moises Kaufman, the director, and Bill T. Jones, the choreographer, uh, didn't get more credit. There was a revival of Baby that I thought was really quite wonderful as well. Um, and um, there's an album coming out of it, which is really nice. Um, so I also like Leona Michelle in Little Girl Blue, playing Nina Simone. Whoa, a galvanizing performance. You see her early in the career and late in the career, and certainly Leona Michelle as opposed to Leah Michelle. Um, I did a book some years ago comparing baseball to um, theater. Uh, so I uh, uh, offered a most valuable player of each season. But what I also, um, in baseball, there is uh, an award given to reliever of the year, meaning a pitcher who comes in and saves the game. <clears throat> well, <laughs> I think we'd have to say that Leah Michelle was the reliever of the year. Um, and probably getting a few votes too would have to be Tova Felshu because um, I, I haven't seen either one of them, but boy, the word of mouth on both of them is sensational. So, um, so those are some of mine that uh, come out uh, from uh, the uh, year 2022. All right, Michael, what to add to your list? Well, <laughs> I can't agree on Paradise Square. Um, can't, I know. Agree like on that one. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. I know. Yeah. And as far as the anti-Semitic plays, uh, I'm completely on board with what you said about Leopoldstadt and Harmony. Um, I really hope, really hope we see Harmony again. I, I keep asking people. <laughs> um, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, nobody seems to know. Nobody or if they do know, they're not saying anything, you know. Yeah. Um, but I have I to say, it, go on. Uh, I, I think that the harmony thing is that uh, Ken Davenport seems to be involved with it, and I think that he's really working day and night on the uh, the Neil Diamond thing. And he's got so many he's got so many productions in the hopper. I think that harmony is going to happen, though. Good. Oh, okay, okay. I hope so. Um, but you know, by the way, we, we it's just the way things played out. I never. Um, had voice and opinion on prayer for, for the French Republic. Uh. And for what it's worth, I really did not like it at all. I thought uh -huh. it was didactic and boring and a trial to sit through. I, I really did not enjoy being in that theater. And, uh, I don't know, you know, that, that playwright, Joshua Harmon, aside from everything else, he seems to have, um, developed this, uh, trademark uh there was in his play bad jews which i liked much better um there was a huge monologue 
uh, harangue, I guess one would say, by one of the characters. Um, uh, and I think it was a female character in that play as well. Uh, and uh, I, I guess that got a lot of praise, that that monologue. So he had the equivalent of it in Prayer of the French Republic, but it was twice as long and twice as much of a of a over the top harangue nonstop spewing of of theories and thoughts and and i just i you know i i'm sorry i i for what it's worth i i really did not like that play i'll be interested to see um how it does elsewhere uh if it's um if it is produced elsewhere, I haven't checked up on that. Um, so that's what I thought on that. On a more positive note, I really loved uh, Plaza Suite, which didn't get a lot of love in a lot of quarters. Um, I thought it was uh, a perfect way to do that kind of a play. I, you know, we, we always hear that the audience for for that type of comedy and that type of play is either dying out or already dead. Um but they they showed up, you know. I guess you, it helps if you have two two big stars, and and especially if they happen to be married to each other, which has that other uh, that other level of interest to it. Um, so I f- I found it thoroughly enjoyable, and even if uh, even if the the two actors didn't necessarily uh, if they weren't perfectly cast in all of the roles in the three play re- playlets um it it didn't almost didn't matter because that's what not what it was about it was just a uh almost like a personal appearance thing but but in a but you know but still serving the play uh so i really 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 like that and i um we mentioned before i um was so surprised and happy that I loved Take Me Out so much, mm. uh, so much that I saw it twice. Um, uh, whereas I, I did not love it the first time, the first production, all those years ago. Uh, so I think it was a combination of the great casting of the two Jessies, um, and uh, I, I seemed really good direction um, by Scott Ellis, who I haven't always been such a fan of. Uh, and and all the production elements, I thought, just really cohered, and I I really thought it was great. I have not had a chance to see the return, and I hear it's, it it hasn't been doing that well, which I guess is not so surprising because it is still a play, and you know it it did have a healthy run the first time, and I guess everyone um, who wanted to see it, uh, or almost everyone who wanted to see it, did so during the initial engagement. So I guess that's why it's not doing so well now but if you have not seen it um i do urge you to get there i'm not i, I haven't checked on is it uh, open ended no the uh take me out you're saying yeah no uh take me out is through february 5th oh okay so you have till then and i really really if you if you haven't seen it i really recommend it yeah we have uh something else Coming into the Schoenfeld, what is it? Let's see. Oh, speaking Life of, of Pi. That, uh, speaking of that, does anybody know what happened to the mousetrap? It was announced, and mm-hmm. I haven't seen a thing on it. Well, how much did they, how definite was the announcement? I don't remember. The uh, London production? 
it was um, it was announced for Broadway. It definitely was, and um, yeah, uh, I, I, I BDB does not keep uh, have it in the uh, list of upcoming shows. Agatha Christie's The Mousetrap will make a long incoming Broadway debut, twenty twenty three. Greg Evans from Deadline. Uh, sometime in twenty twenty three, producers have announced it's it's probably got to be a summer sometime, thing. Sometime, you know, because I mean yeah. everything's pretty well locked up in Midtown right now for uh through the through june so i I would be surprised if it came before june but and and there's no announcement right right now that i that i know of so yeah yeah, the mousetrap is gonna come so um i'm sorry michael what were you saying you were saying about take me out oh no that's it uh yeah i I just say really do go if you haven't seen it um a couple other things i uh Loved um, Romeo and Bernadette. Oh yeah, off Broadway. Uh, also off Broadway. Which way to the stage uh, at MCC? Which I, I actually is being done in DC now. Um, I was going to try to get down to see that, but I'm not sure if that's going to happen. But I'm glad to see that that's being done elsewhere because I just thought it was completely delightful. This play about um, what it will. What are they called nowadays? Uh, they used to be called stage door Johnnies, although yeah. stage door Johnnies, I guess, yeah, were specifically guys who would try to pick up girls, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, people who hang out at stage doors to to meet the right. cast and get uh, autographs and take photos and things like that. Um, I thought stage it w- doors even become a verb. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I thought that was such a very clever and and delightful and very funny play with with some heart to it also uh so i i was delighted um to see that it's being done elsewhere mm-hmm. all right uh peter anything else on your list um i in terms of the best um no i think that swings it for me that's that's what comes to mind um immediately i want to ask you guys about other buzzy hot things that were discussed downstate did you guys uh, make? Did Downstate make it to your list? I'm sorry, I, I omitted it. Yeah, that's a very good uh, suggestion. Um, it, it, tackling a very difficult subject, I guess. I, I, my guess that it escaped my uh, mind had to do with the fact that something I brought up when we talked about it a few weeks ago, and that's the fact. It's all very nice to see these men at this. By the way, for those who don't know what we're talking about, it's a play about um, child molesters who are in a halfway house type of situation. And um, and we wind up having a great deal of sympathy for everybody, the victims, the perpetrators. But as I said before, um, it's all very easy to have sympathies for these child molesters when you see them in this situation. Would we have the sympathy if we saw them do what they had done that got them in this situation? So um, that it seems to be uh, an easy escape to not uh, deal with that part of it. And I dare say that um, if it were a movie, I imagine some director would say, let's show that that part of it uh, early on, maybe even before the credits. But um, as, as unsavory and terrible as that would be, I mean, it is a reality in terms of what's going on in this play. So, um, well, but that's why the, the, the most difficult scene to sit through is the one where, um, the, uh, the victim, uh, does start to describe exactly 
what happened. And he only goes so far. But I think that in that scene, um, you know, that's where <laughs> whatever sympathy you might have had um, for the perpetrators kind of goes out the window. Yes, but this is still a case of tell as opposed to showing. So, I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I, yeah, yeah, I'll grant you that. Sure. Um, yeah. But, yeah. but whoa, you know, I'm, uh, and again, you know, the point is, um, this is his word against his, you know, you are hearing what he says, but if we saw what actually happened, whoa, you know, so um, maybe I'm just asking for too much. And maybe, uh, again, this is the worst idea in the history of mankind. But- well, I mean, not to belabor, but they, they would never have done that on never. stage, never. you know, never. because it would have they would no. have to bring in a kid. Right. Yeah. I know. And I yeah, know. I don't think well, that are yeah. are indeed are indeed they wouldn't. It could be a fourth wall situation where he's simply talking to the kid whom we do not see and we see his uh Oh. His oh, that's line, interesting. Yeah, his line yeah. to uh entice the kid, you know, the bar of candy whatever. So um so That's really, a great uh, idea, Peter. So that yeah. that would have been very um uh, powerful. So yeah. I hear, um, you know, we always do, but I hear rumors that that show may move to Broadway. I don't think they expect it to have a tremendously long run, but, you know, just so it would be uh, eligible for awards for all those actors and for the playwright and everyone else. Mm-hmm. James, uh, what, talk, uh, is every house booked? Uh, um, I mean, the foreseeable yes. future? They're, Even though uh, so much is closing, so much is closing. As oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, but here's something that really bothered me. That article was in Forbes magazine, say 16 Broadway shows are closing. Did you see that article? Yeah, but several yeah. of them are limited. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. They made it sound like these were all shows that uh, yes. tended to I'm run very, very, you know, mm-hmm. Peter, you had talked about the recording session of Music Man, yeah. and I'm so sorry that it didn't even make a year. I'm sure it made no money. <laughs> <laughs> but really 16 broadway shows are closing sound like 16 shows opened expecting to run now and forever and what happened that they but yes so many of the limited runs is that's a very common thing on broadway now um william goldman in his landmark book the season predicted that this would happen the limited engagement is a promising thing he wrote and indeed it has turned out to be promising because so many people come to broadway knowing all right so i'll come for eight weeks they'll give me a tony i'll be able to get part of that for the god good and you know fine whatever it takes to get them here that's fine you know and people want to see stars so um i'm i'm glad that it happens Mm-hmm. Um, so aside from downstate, I was thinking English, the uh, play at Atlantic yeah, Theater yeah, Company. Yeah, yeah. But again, this should be a limited run. And so should Merrily We Roll Along. These are these are shows that will not um, ring true with the populace. You know, looking back to it now, uh, granted, <clears throat> the strangest Prince Sondheim collaboration was definitely Pacific Overtures. <laughs> you, when you look at that, you say, how do they ever think that that could make money? Yeah, well, mm. uh, frankly, I think it's true of Merrily, too. Um, uh, as accomplished as a work as I think it is, I just don't think it's of interest to the general public. So, And it's maybe it'll have the same trajectory as um, Into the Woods, which yeah, was yeah, yeah, completely yeah. sold out at uh, yeah, City Center yeah. and then completely sold out for the first, what, yeah. two months, two or yeah, three yeah. months if, uh, yeah. of the Broadway. And then just apparently just did a nosedive because uh, mm. there's still, I, uh, you know, a quote unquote limited public, I guess, for, for Sondheim. Mm. Except Sweeney Todd. 
Uh, <laughs> ta- <laughs> tangentially, let me ask a question in our uh, chat room there. Uh, Rob Johnson, did Sarah Brillis get married this weekend? Uh, or was she already oh, married? Uh, I think that she got married this weekend, but I was oh. thinking maybe she already was married. So anybody in the ch- chat room chime in there. We want to express our, our best wishes if in fact, well, yeah. even if she yeah, didn't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. We might as well give her yeah. her best wishes anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Um, anyway. Um, yeah. it's her first marriage, is, is that what you're saying? Uh, it's uh, nothing like a first marriage. The optimism you take into the first marriage, <laughs> yeah. you never get back no matter how many times you get married. I liked time. it so much I did it again. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember when Audra McDonald told me she was getting married and I said that, oh, your first marriage, you know, and that's great. You'll never take the optimism you have in any of your future marriages. And she took a little umbrage at it. Of course, she's now in her second marriage, but that's another story. <laughs> that's like if 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 someone is on their second or third marriage, what do you call them? Do you say my current Husband, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. I don't think you say that. <laughs> this is true. All right, so uh, that's gonna wrap it up for today. Before we get on to trivia and the musical moments, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayradio.com. There's a subscribe link that way, each and every time we have a new episode. Of this week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcast for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to get a spy, uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to find a podcast, you'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com. So, Peter, do we have an answer to last year's trivia question? <laughs> right. The name of the first song in an Ellen J. Lerner flop is the last line of the most celebrated song in a Stephen Sondheim flop. What is the title of, one, of the line and the two musicals? Well, Going, Going, Gone was the first song in Lolita, My Love, Ellen J. Lerner's 1971 musical that closed in Boston. It's the last line of Good Thing Going from Merrily We Roll Along, Stephen Sondheim's musical flop of 1981. The aforementioned Juliet Green was the first to get it, followed by Paul Witte, Tony Janicki, who tumbled to third place, Arthur Robinson, Brigadude, Sean Logan, Isaac Blevins, Chris Skiles, Mike Meany, Deb Popple, and Jack Leshner. Now, a Tony-winning lyricist actually wrote a song with his longtime partner, partner, which they called Good Thing Going. And it even ended with going, going, gone. Hmm. Some, this is some years before Sondheim wrote his song. Hmm. This famous team wrote it for a musical, but eventually dropped it. The song was to be sung by a star who nevertheless won a Tony for singing the songs, dancing the dances, and delivering the dialogue that remained in the show. So who wrote the song? From what show was it intended? And who was the Tony-winning star? Okay, if you have an answer for that, Email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment? Both our opener and our closer uh, are the overture from Merrily We Roll Along uh. from the original Broadway cast album. And this brings me to one more final annoying suggestion uh, from mm-hmm. me as to how to fix Merrily. Um Everyone loves that original overture, I think. Mm. And unfortunately, um, over the years, well, after the first production, the song Rich and Happy uh, was cut. Uh, and that 
the melody of that song is included in the overture. So that had to be cut from the overture as well. And I think it's a tremendous loss. Uh, on the other hand, I always did have a problem with rich and happy because I thought it was so obvious, uh, kind of, and kind of uncharacteristic of Sondheim to have a I character sing. Yeah. You know, look at me, I'm rich and happy because who says that, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So I, I understand that. And so I came up with a solution. Uh, ah. You keep uh, the song that that was written to replace it, uh, which is part of a larger musical section anyway, that Frank, you keep that song. And then at some point during that first party scene uh, at, at Frank's uh, home in Malibu or wherever it's supposed to be, uh, is that right? Well, anyway, so. so somewhere in California, um, uh, somebody says to Frank, you know, Frank, I, I really like that song in your movie uh, that that one character that of the of the singer uh, uh, delivers at one point mm -hmm. who wrote that song. And mm -hmm. Frank could say, oh, I wrote that song many years ago with my friend Charlie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so that would show us that, you know, how he was still clinging to that, but make the point again that he's no longer a composer. And then he could go to the piano and sing. Life is swinging. Skies are blue and bells are ringing uh, and just sing even like a few lines of it. And if he just did that, they could include it in the, uh, you know, in the overture. Like mm -hmm. and, and ha have the overture be the original version that they used to. So, um, yep, there are know. a lot of overtures that really um, have uh, melodies that have been dropped. Tenderloin is certainly one um, that, mm. uh, and and there are others too. Um, the movie of Oliver has my name. Yeah, and um, uh, oh, um, well, I just had it, and now I lost it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think uh, that. Um, uh, believe it or not, that Colorado, my home, wasn't in the original. Sure. Uh, right. some, for Brown, some reason, yeah, yeah. 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 But yeah. that's that yeah. wasn't dropped. That's a different situation. It wasn't finished yet, or whatever. Anyway, um, uh, so uh, oh, loop so, in the loop in Chicago. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Loop in the loop in Chicago is um, and, right. I mean, that's that's really quite an overture as much as a prologue. But nevertheless, it's a song that was dropped. All things bright and beautiful from Follies, you know, which shows up in the um, prologue sequence. Right, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, so another excuse to listen to the original cast album recording of the brilliant overture from "Merrily We Roll Along," and uh, which hopefully, uh, we, we, well, not hopefully. I mean, it is planned that we will yeah. see it back on Broadway yeah. in the fall. Yeah, you know, it's such a painful thing when you're um, watching the movie A Funny Girl and there's that overture and you're waiting for the music that makes me dance and it doesn't show up. <laughs> the, the, the Funny Girl new song, uh, which is far mm -hmm. inferior to the music that makes me dance. So, mm -hmm. so yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry for interrupting your musical moment. <laughs> no, that's okay. So on behalf of Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway videos this week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.